It's a great time of the year in the life of our church where we unleash generosity right here in our own community through our Love Jacks events. And yesterday, uh, you guys just were awesome. You packed thousands of meals next door in our fellowship hall through Hunger Fight, and you're going to feed hundreds of families. So you bought the food and you packed the food yesterday. And I want to Thank you for that. Let's give those, that team a hand uh, who did that yesterday. You'll hear the total of what they were able to do uh, later as we have Celebration Sunday in the month of December. And then another team at the same time went to our local school, Lone Star Elementary. And uh, you guys just poured out your love and your service in beautifying the grounds. And I wasn't able to be at either one of those events, but I heard it is amazing. I cannot wait to see the pictures of what you guys did. So let's give that team a hand uh, for their work at Lone Star Elementary School. And then, of course, you just heard Matt challenge you to give uh, to this special love offering, the Be Rich offering, and how we're going to divide that up. In fact, just this morning, uh, I was listening to the news, and they were talking about how that so many food banks across America uh, have uh, depleted supplies because the demand for uh, food from our communities has increased. And then also, donations have decreased And then the price of purchasing food or transporting the food has gone up greatly in the last year. And so it is a crisis time for our local communities when it comes to feeding the hungry in our neighborhoods. And that is why the bulk of what you give out of those three organizations, Her Song, Tisha's Hands, and Arlington Community Services, 50% of that is going to go to Arlington Community Services to help feed our neighbors and to help families in their times of need. And so thank you so much for your willingness to give, to love, and to serve. You guys are amazing. And uh, because this is the holiday season, a lot of great things are taking place uh, in the life of our church. You've already heard some of those uh, today, and we want you to be involved in those. In fact, that Christmas banquet, by the way, is a ticketed event. If you want to go, you need to call our church office because we're down to about 14 available seats. And it's open to all ages, and if you would like to be there, you can do that. Well, today I want to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving. Since Thanksgiving is this week, I want to bring a message I'm calling Ingratitude. How would you thank a person who saved your life? Now, sometimes we say, well, that's never happened to me, but it may have, and maybe you just haven't come to recognize how important it was what that person or those people did for you. Maybe in saving your life, it was some cardiac surgeon and her team who saved your life from a heart attack. Maybe it was an EMT who saved you from that car accident, and they pulled you out of the wreckage of that intersection. Maybe for you, it was your sponsor who saved you from a drug overdose, Maybe for you, it was a lifeguard who saved you from drowning at Hannah Park or at Jack's Beach. Maybe for you, it was a person who saved your marriage because they intervened and offered the counseling that you needed, and it kept you two together. We could go on and on, and I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we can see how so often other people have touched our lives, have changed our lives, have rescued us or helped us in so many ways, physically or spiritually or emotionally or financially. And in those moments, we feel profound gratitude for what those people have done for us. And we certainly should. 
But sometimes we stop at just feeling grateful rather than expressing our gratitude. I was reading an article from a lady who wrote an article about how to write a thank you for saving my life letter. (laughs) Her name was Erica Kroll, and she gave some pretty good suggestions. If you have found that someone changed your life and you want to say thank you, maybe you ought to write them a letter. And she gave you some pointers. First of all, she says in your letter, briefly retell your story. Number two, emphasize the critical action they took. Number three, acknowledge their courage. They didn't stay on the sidelines. They got involved. They rolled up their sleeves and they helped you. Number four, express your gratitude and what it means to you. Number five, include a picture. And number six, highlight a few personal aspects of your life currently. In other words, it's important to not just feel grateful for people who saved your life. You ought to express that gratitude. And maybe writing a letter is a good way to do that. In your letter, you're going to say, listen, I don't know if you remember me, but my name is so-and-so, and on such and such date, this is what happened. And emphasize, in that moment of my need, you came and you rescued me and you helped me. And I know that it had to have been a scary, chaotic moment, but you didn't let that stop you. You helped me. And I want you to know that I'm grateful for what you've done. And I want you to see my life now and how that I will never forget you. Because the life I now have, I can trace back to your intervention. You know, maybe there's a a time that you ought to sit down and write a letter and say, thank you to someone who has helped you. Thank you to someone who's touched your life. You see, gratitude is fueled by an appreciation for what you have, but also from whom you have it. Gratitude is fueled by an appreciation for what you have. I have this gift. I have this new opportunity. I have a new day of life. I I have this new job, or I have a new start in my relationship. Gratitude is fueled by an appreciation for what you have, but also from whom you have it. That there's someone who's been instrumental in your life to help you get to where you are today. But the problem is we often experience gratitude but fail to express it. We feel it. And we have maybe good intentions to say thank you. But life gets busy and one day turns into a week and a week turns into a month and a month turns into a year and we have not yet said thank you. It was probably Andy Stanley who was the first person who put it in this way that has helped me understand the importance and the power of being grateful. He said, unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Just because I feel thank you, if I don't ever say it to that person or those people, they may get the impression that I'm actually not grateful. That rather than living in gratitude, I'm living with ingratitude towards what they've done for me. That we need to take that next step. In fact, I think all of us have that choice, don't we? We can either live with ingratitude or we can live in gratitude. And we can share our gratitude. We can share our thanks with other people. But can I tell you, there's there's something I want to say today Our gratitude ought to begin with God. And maybe you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe you don't know where you stand spiritually or what you believe. 
lot of what I'm going to talk about today, I think you'll find helpful in what it means to be grateful and how to express it. But if we're all honest, our gratitude for someone saving our life ought to begin with God. As, as Craig quoted just a moment ago, he's more spiritual than I am. I'm not going to quote it. I'll read it. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, the brother of Jesus said, So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. The brother of Jesus said, you find anything in your life and everything in your life that is good and you can trace it back to God. Every good gift you've got is a gift from God. The very breath that we breathe, the very life that we have, this new day that we enjoy is a gift from God. Those good relationships in your life, your strength and abilities to go to work and make a living, the opportunity to live in this country, the opportunity to have what you have, it's all a gift from God. And our gratitude ought to begin with God. And those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior recognize that the greatest gift God has ever given us is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. He saved us. He saved us from the penalty of the sin that we have committed and the penalty that we deserved. He loved us so much that he gave his life for us on the cross and he took our punishment for sin and he offered us forgiveness and freedom and eternal life and a right relationship with God. And if we're going to be grateful, let it begin with God. Let us begin every moment of every day saying, God, thank you for who you are and thank you for what you've done for me in your grace. But I'll be honest, sometimes I take God for granted. I don't mean to. I know I, you pay me to do better than that. I mean, come on, preacher, you're, you're, the, you're the professional. You're supposed to not take God for granted, but I'm just going to be flat out honest. So often I can just get up, go into my day, and not give God a glancing thought until I need something. So often I'm quick to bring my prayers to God and to bring my needs to God and to bring my complaints to God. And then God answers my prayers so often and I look back on my life and I realize there have been times I was quick to ask, but I wasn't so quick to say thank you when God answered. And so I want my gratitude to begin with God every day. God, thank you for what you've done for me. There's a story in the life of Jesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's going there intently to die for us on the cross of Calvary. But he also has time on that journey to help people catch a glimpse of the grace and the power of God. And there was a moment Jesus intervened in the lives of ten people. And through his gracious intervention, they then were confronted with the choice We will either live with ingratitude towards what he's done, or we will live in gratitude for what he's done. Let's see how they responded, because I think how they responded is sometimes how we respond. And there's a lesson for us here. I'm going to take you to the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 17. If you have your Bible, you can open it up or turn it on. And I'll even put the words on the screen, but uh, there's just nothing like seeing it with your own eyes and your own copy of God's Word. 
Luke chapter 17. I want to begin today with verse 11, and we'll read down through uh, verses 19 or so. But here in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, but he's also not there yet. And it says in Luke 17 verse 11, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Verse 12. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. And let's pause there for a moment. Jesus comes into this unnamed village and he is confronted by ten lepers. And if you know anything about leprosy, you know this is a terrible disease. And these ten lepers keep their distance from Jesus, but they are excited that Jesus has come through their town because they've heard about him. They've heard about the stories of him healing people of their diseases, including perhaps having heard about him healing a leper just by touching that leper. They keep their distance from Jesus. They had to. They had to spiritually and legally. In that day, leprosy... uh, was such a bad disease and a communicable disease that you would have to stay away if you had leprosy. And you would have to cry out to people coming around you, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, don't come near me. Don't be ceremonially or spiritually or physically defiled by touching me. To be a leper meant you're cut off from your family. You're cut off from your community. You lose your job and your livelihood. You're no longer able and allowed to go into church to worship God. It's a terrible disease. It would often begin with just a little bit of a weird sensation in your skin. That weird sensation would then turn into pain. The pain, though, would eventually turn into numbness as those spots on your skin began to turn into boils, open sores, sores that not only looked terrible, They smelled terrible as your flesh began to rot away. Your your skin started looking more like scales of fish than human flesh. In fact, the word leprosy in Greek means scales. Because it so transformed and disfigured your skin, your extremities, your face, your nose, your ears, your eyes. If this disease goes on unabated, your fingers will turn into nubs of flesh and even fall off. Your ears fall off. Your nose rots away. It's a terrible disease. And ten lepers cut off from their church, cut off from their family, cut off from their friends, carrying in their own body a disease that is slowly eating them away. Here Jesus is coming. And they keep their distance, but they're happy to know that Jesus is coming Look at verse 13. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That's all they were asking. Jesus, Master, Jesus, Teacher, have mercy. Mercy. Show some loving kindness towards us. Some say, well, they were just asking for a handout. They were just hoping Jesus would give them a little money. Maybe they were beggars and that's how they made their living. But I think there's more to it. They're not just asking for a handout. They're asking for healing. We've heard what you're capable of. We've heard what you've done for others. Have mercy on us now. The same loving kindness you've extended to others, 
Extend it now to us. Have mercy upon us. There was another incident perhaps they had heard of, don't know if they had or not, where Jesus had been confronted with the leper, and the leper says, Jesus, if you're willing, you could make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. And the Bible says he touched the leper. You didn't do that. Religiously, you don't do that if you're a Jew, because now you're spiritually unclean. Now you've got to go through all kinds of ritual washings and ceremonies, and there's going to be a period of time you won't be allowed into the temple because you touched an unclean leper. Jesus didn't care, because Jesus is not contaminated by touching us. We are transformed by his touch. And maybe they had heard this story and they're saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. But notice something. Jesus wasn't about the abracadabra. He wasn't about a formulaic approach to ministry because he does something different this time. Verse 14, when, he, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't even say, be cleansed. He doesn't say, be healed. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He just says in response to their request and prayer for mercy, go show yourself to the priest. You see, in Leviticus chapter 14, verse 1 and following, there was a prescribed manner in which a leper who thought he was healed or she was healed could have that verified. They could go to the priest and the priest would examine them. And if the priest found that they truly were healed of leprosy, the priest could then give them a declaration of healing. And they could return to their life. They could return to their family. They could return to their church. And so Jesus says, go, show yourself to the priest. Verse 14 says, and as they went, they were cleansed. As they left the presence of Jesus and started towards the priest, They were healed. Their act of faith and obedience to the word of Jesus brought healing in their bodies. And you can just imagine this 10 pitiful group of lepers, some Jews, we'll see in a moment, another a foreigner, making their way to the Jewish priest. And then all of a sudden they start feeling in their body something's different. Kind of like when you went through puberty. They're thinking, something's different. Something's going on here. I'm I'm different now. I'm changed. And they begin to look at their hands. And their hands are no longer scarred. Their hands are whole. Their skin is no longer scaly. Their skin is clean and pure. And they realize in that moment, a miracle has happened. They are truly healed. They are truly healed. And it says... In verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Verse 16, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He didn't just feel gratitude for what Jesus had done for him. He actually went and gave out his gratitude He didn't just experience gratitude. He expressed gratitude for what Jesus had done for him. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then Luke, who, by the way, is a follower of Jesus and who is a physician, and he's, he's 
a, a later Christian and he's a physician. He says, now he, this one that turned back, he was a Samaritan. And remember, we talked about this last Sunday. Samaritans and Jews had this long-running feud. 700 years before Jesus, this feud begins. These, these two groups of people hate each other. They have rival religions. They have rival worship practices and worship places. There had been outbroken hostilities over the years between Jews and Samaritans. If you were on a trip and you were a Jew, you would go the long way to get to your destination so you could bypass Samaria. You didn't even want to walk through their territory. And one of the lowest blows you could give someone, one of the lowest criticisms you could give someone is to call them a Samaritan. And Luke says, do you want to know who turned back out of the ten? It was a Samaritan. The one who you thought would never be grateful, would never humble himself before a Jew, would never say thank you. He's the one who went back. When the people who knew better just kept on going. Maybe they felt grateful to Jesus and maybe they meant to go back one day, but they didn't. But the Samaritan did. The Samaritan said, I can go and tell that priest anytime. But I'm going to go back right now while Jesus is still in our neighborhood and I'm going to tell him, thank you. You have saved my life. Thank you. Verse 17, then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? It's a rhetorical question. Jesus knows there were ten. He's emphasizing the fact that there's only one standing in front of him. Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Verse 18, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus says this in verse 19. And he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's a little play on words here, by the way. This Samaritan has already been cleansed and healed of leprosy the moment he stepped out in faith and obeyed Jesus. He had been healed on his way to see the priest. But now that he comes back and he falls on his face before Jesus, giving praise to God and giving thanks to Jesus, God in flesh, for what he's done in his life, Jesus says, it is your faith that has made you well. And in the Greek, the word is literally, it is your faith that has saved you. Jesus is talking about more than physical salvation from leprosy. He's talking about Samaritan, you now have a right relationship with God through your faith in me. Your faith is what has made you realize who I am. It's made you turn back. It's made you give thanks. It's made you express your gratitude. Your faith has saved you. All ten got physically healed. Only one got spiritually saved. And it was his faith in Jesus how do we know faith is real? Faith is an invisible thing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11, verse 1. How do we know that faith is present and active? Because it's an invisible thing. It is your trust in God. How do we know that? We can't see that. How do we quantify that? How do we measure it? Can you put faith under a microscope and see it? 
No. But you can see the results of faith. And the results of genuine faith include being grateful to God through Jesus for what he has done. Listen, if you're not a Christian, it may seem weird that Christians show up every week and we sing songs and we stand and some lift their hands, others are quiet and they're more more inwardly reverent. But it may just seem weird to you. Why do you guys do this every week? There's so many other places you could be, other things you can do. And you're right. And you sit there and you listen to a guy talk to you for 30 minutes. Okay, 40 minutes, if you're lucky. Read from a book you call the Bible, God's Word, talking about Jesus. Because it seems to always end up about Jesus. Why do you do it? This is why we do it. Because when we read this story, we see ourselves. We see ourselves in this story. We were the ones racked by sin, deformed and defaced and disfigured by sin, broken, separated from God. Nothing we could do to enter into his presence. We had to humble ourselves and cry out to God and admit what he knew and what everybody else knows were unclean, were sinful, were impure, we're hopeless. But one day we heard about a man who had changed other people's lives. We heard about a man who had forgiven other sinners. We heard about a man who had put other lives back together. We heard about his love and his sacrifice and his death and his resurrection. And we just cried out to him one day out of pure desperation, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he did. And we show up here every week to express our gratitude to him for what he's done. And not only gratitude for his salvation, but gratitude for the way he sustains us and cares for us and is patient with us and loves us and has promised us one day he's coming back. And when he does, there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. All those things will have passed away and we will spend eternity in gratitude to our God for what he's done for us. And another reason we show up here every week and we worship him and give him our praise and express our gratitude is so that we can then leave this place and go and tell others about him. I can only imagine that this leper never finished talking about what Jesus did for him that day. I don't know if he ever wrote a letter, but I guarantee you if he did or if he just shared his testimony, he probably followed the advice of Erica Kroll, he would retell his story. I was a leper, hopeless, lost. But Jesus stepped in and saved me. Jesus did what others were afraid to do. He intervened. And Jesus, I'm grateful for what you've done for me. Jesus, here's my life now that you have made possible I have a family now. I have friends now. I can work now and have dignity again. I don't have to hold my head down under a cloak whenever I walk through public now. But more than all of that, Jesus, I have a right relationship with God the Father through you. And I'm eternally grateful. That's what that Samaritan felt. And that's what many of us in this room, many of us watching today feel. We're grateful 
for what God has done for us. Gratitude is more than a feeling we get. It's a gift we give. And we begin with giving it to God. This Thanksgiving season, let's begin with God. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you in the stillness of this moment for Jesus and for what he has done for us when we placed our trust in him. That he has done far more for us than just physical healing. He's given us spiritual healing. He's given us eternal life. He's given us a right relationship with you, Father. And Jesus paid that price through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we thank you for it. We're so grateful. And God, we recognize that gratitude is not just a feeling we get. It's a gift we give. And today we express and give thanks to you for Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Father, I pray that today you would find in us hearts filled with gratitude. Let us be grateful for our families and our friends and people who have helped us in life, but let our gratitude begin with you. Because without you, we would have nothing. We would be nothing. Thank you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Father, if there's anyone in this room today who needs Jesus as their Savior, anyone who's watching or listening today, I pray that today in this very moment they would say to you, Dear Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Show your loving kindness to me. I put my confidence, my faith, my trust in you and you alone to do for me what I cannot do for myself. Jesus, I trust you and believe in you. And friend, if that's you, if that's the decision you need to make today, here's the promise of Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus, that whoever, that means you, that whoever believes in him, should not perish in their sin, but have eternal life. Will you believe in Christ today? Put your confidence in him. Turn from your sin. Trust him to forgive you. Let him be your Lord and your Savior. He wants to do that for you today. Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you. We're not ashamed of Jesus. We're grateful to Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Look at me for a moment. Let me give you homework today. If you want to express your gratitude in tangible ways, I'm going to ask you to keep doing four things Gather. Gather each week for worship. Gather with other people who have experienced the grace and loving kindness of God so we can express our gratitude to God together. Gather for worship every week. I'm also going to ask you to give. Give of yourself. Give of your time. Give of your talents. And bless other people through your service and your financial giving. I'm going to ask you to grow. Grow in faith with other believers. Get into a small group at our church. We have hundreds of small groups and Different, or hundreds of people involved in small groups in different ways. We want you to be a part of one. Grow in your faith in Jesus. Learn more about him. And then go. Go into this world and tell them about our good Jesus. God bless you. I love you. If you're new to our church or taking a spiritual step, I'd love to meet you. I'll be right here at the front.